Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. That is very, very true. Afternoon, Harry Alexander Bunker to France, Todd Howdy. Roberts, and this is Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. You know, we do have a, a time change coming up, and I saw a great one on Facebook today. I don't have any change. No, I don't either, but uh, the uh, the person on uh, Facebook wrote, Well, time changes are coming. I'm going back to the 1880s when there were more cowboys. <laughs> I love it. I like that. Anyway, uh, our today's program is uh, about Max Evans, who passed oh, away. Oh, Max Evans. The uh, uh, passed away uh, toward the end of August, and with us is um, Robert Knott, no stranger to this program. And, or to uh, Max Evans. Or to Max Evans. In fact, he he and Max uh, wrote a book about uh, Sam Peckinpah. Robert, welcome to the program again. Hey, nice to be back on. Nice to hear your guys' voices. Yeah, good to have you back with us, sir. You know, before we get off in our usual runaway here, I've got some news of the West to get out of the way. Uh, and this is just something we try to do to let the people know what's happening in our world. Last Wednesday was Joel and Francis McCray's anniversary, if they had still been with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, last Thursday, uh, Barb Freeze, who's the mother of... Gene Freeze and wife of Marty Freeze, mm-hmm. contributors to the shows, had a birthday. That sounds like community radio, it doesn't does, it? It does, doesn't it? Okay, and uh, <laughs> Carol Markstrom, who's also a friend of the show, been on several times. Uh, Bandito, a musical video that she and filmmaker Anita Crane made, was the finalist in the Wild Bunch Film Festival, held in conjunction with the 2020 Rex Allen Days just a couple weeks ago in Wilcox, and another old-timer on the show, Janice Deardoff, a Western Music Association uh, bandit, has been working with award-winning Arizona author Nancy Turner on a new album, The Songs of Sarah Pine, Arizona, Arizona Pioneer Woman, based on the trilogy that Turner wrote, and uh, it's coming along, and... Now we can get to the fun stuff. Old Max Evans. Robert, uh, Robert Knott is an author in his own right. He's a, a newspaper reporter for Santa Fe, New Mexican. And uh, he's got a couple of books out. Uh, one about, uh, it's called The Last Cowboy Heroes, uh, the westerns of Randolph Scott, Joe McRae, and Audie Murphy. Another one, uh, He Ran All the Way, The Life of John Garfield. Another book, The Films of Randolph Scott. Yeah, Randy. <clears throat> and then Going Crazy. Uh, with Sam Peckinpah, that was the one uh, that uh, he and Max Evans put together, and then a book on the films of Bud Bettiger. And so... I got a question for you now, right off the bat. You know, I was thinking, you know, know, what I know about Max, and I was kind of thinking, there's a similarity between him and Garfield. Am I thinking on the right avenue, or am I just off in left field all by myself? Well, I don't know. Tell me your similarity. <laughs> well, you know, they were they were both, you know, um, Max was very much an original, although he was as cowboy as ever, any cowboy you'll ever find, which is a true cowboy. But uh, they were both kind of rounders. And uh, Garfield, you know, he, he didn't play the game uh, like it was scripted, and neither did Max to a great deal. And that's where that's the kind of part of the similarities I see. I like that. I would go with that. Um, 
they were both their own men. Um, both paid a very different price. Garfield died very early, 39 years old, of a heart attack. And Max, in his own way, paid the price for not selling out. Um, but he sure lived a long time. He was just shy of his 96th birthday when he when he passed away in a veteran's hospital out in Albuquerque. So I like that comparison, Bunker. I like that a lot, actually. Well, thank you. Hadn't thought of it. How, how did you get uh, together with, uh, with Max, Robert? I met him about 20 years ago. Um, I'm sorry to say I was trying to rack my brain before doing the show that I don't remember why I interviewed him around 2000, 2001, but we met at a, uh, a Chinese restaurant on Central Avenue in Albuquerque, and I remember he was drinking, and it's easy for me to remember that because he gave up drinking shortly thereafter, and he asked me to have a drink with him, and I said, no, I'm working, i got to interview you, and he said, I respect writers that don't drink while they're working. But then every other writer I know went out and drank with him while they interviewed him. He told them, I respect writers that drink while they're working. There so I don't go. know what to believe. <laughs> yeah, he, I saw I saw that statement in several different sources about him, though, that, that you know, he, he had a lot of respect for people that had discipline. He did, Ben. He liked a good drinker, but um, he did. He was a disciplined man. He was a drinker. He was honest about it. And he was quite a rounder. He was quite a... A wrestler. He was quite a, a con man by his own admission. He, That's a cowboy. That's a good description of a cowboy, right there. Well, for those it who, was for those who uh, uh, uninitiated about uh, who Max Evans was, he was an uh, American writer, best known for his western fiction. He authored more than twenty-seven fiction and nonfiction books over his sixty-year career. His first novel, The Rounders, published in nineteen sixty, it was made into a film in nineteen sixty-five. And uh, another novel, The High-Low Country, also made into a film. That was back in 1998. And his most recent book, The King of Taos, was published uh, this year. And he started that in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he, he is, uh, was a member of uh, Western Writers of America and uh, is, has been inducted into the WWW Hall, WWA Hall of Fame. And that happened in 2015. And born into a ranching family. So. And this issue of the Roundup has a great picture of him, a really, really nice uh, piece by uh, Johnny Boggs about uh, Max's life and really covers all the bases. And we'll be talking with Johnny in about two weeks. Yeah. I know I've got another question for you, uh, Robert. And this sure, is, I'm still here. This is this is this is this is a deep question. And this is going to—it's probably going to throw the show off, but I have to know why when Hollywood made the high-low country, they put that uh, dash between high and low because Max didn't have it there. He didn't, but once he got the paycheck from the Hollywood production company, he didn't give a damn. He put—he started putting uh, uh, dashes in everything he wrote after that. He certainly did. He added a few zeros to the paycheck too. I think they gave him. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. He was he was quite the character. I I remember when uh, you and he were uh, on the show with Franzi, and I'm just sitting in the other side of this uh, in the uh, control room, just laughing about all of those bizarre stories that he had. Especially, well, and this was uh, to promote the book about Peckinpah. I think I think uh, Max had to be one of Emil's favorite interviews. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. He was a great interview. He was a great storyteller. And you didn't care anymore if the stories were true or not. You just said, that makes sense. I believe that. And he believed them, so you kind of believed them. So in a way, he was a great actor and a great storyteller. But you really sensed underneath he was blessed enough 
um, from the good Lord to have had all these experiences, including, you know, um, bar fights that he lost and uh, maybe some tussles with women who came after him with knives and uh, brushes with celebrity where he viewed a lot of people he knew well, like Sam Peckinpah, probably the most famous name we could throw out on the show here, um, in a very honest, real eye, but still see them as human beings with all of their flaws. Uh, and I'm glad you gave that background to who Max was. I'm sometimes afraid people don't know him except for the two books that became movies. Yeah, no, no, he's quite, well, quite the author. Yeah, I went through I went through and read as much as I could about all of the different books. And I'll tell you, the, the voice of the West, the voice of the cowboy, the voice of New Mexico, uh, I think... I think he's the best I've ever come across. I I grew up in New Mexico. That's my home. Uh, I love it more than any place on earth. And I'll tell you what, you know, it's like, you know, like reading him is like being at home. Mm. It really is. And and the thing, you know, cowboys, people don't realize cowboys, and anybody that knew Joe Dreyfus would know this. Cowboys will pull your leg if they get half a chance. Oh yes. <laughs> And pull it far and, and far. He'd pull them. He'd pull all four of them on a horse and get away with it. <laughs> and make you like it. And make you. You could never not like the guy. Yeah. I was kind of glad I didn't meet him when he was younger, when he was still getting in barroom brawls. Although I don't think he ever sought out trouble. I think he sort of stumbled into it and then did his best to fight his way out of it. I mean, he was the kind of guy that liked to brag that he was in jail 22 times. And, and I, I always think he's making that up. I bet it was 52 times. <laughs> Well, I had a friend named Ross Loney. He was Rookie Saddle Bronc Rider of the Year back in 62, I think it was. And Ross was built just like like the, like the a typical Saddle Bronc Rider. Lean, lanky, not that tall, and just timing and everything. Ran with a fellow named Harry McQuarrie from the McQuarrie family. They're both Montana guys. And these guys was Mutt and Jeff, and... Both of them like to drink, both of them like to go to bars, and both of them like to fight. <laughs> Todd, you got anything in there you want to throw in? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> you know, Robert, I, I've i studied Peckinpah a lot in my life. He's one of my great uh, directors, in my opinion. Uh, uh, you know, he made some true masterpieces and so on, and I think Evans, obviously, um, the two of them created a lot of shall I say, as you've already said, um, legendary urban legends, almost, as you were, uh, drinking and brawling and weaponizing and everything else. But taking it back to film, you know, there's a story, um, and I have i don't know where I read it. I've gone through all my Peckinpah peck books, and I can't find it, and I'm looking to you. This is more of a Peckinpah question, but maybe somehow you've unearthed this through your pursuit um, there's a, a legend that Peckinpah and Ford were talking and uh, if, it's, if it's not true it's okay because it's still a great story and Peckinpah was somewhat poking at John Ford about well you know uh, they're talking about cavalry films and he said you know <laughs> your films are, the uniforms are all clean and and, you know, blue, everybody looks so, you know, uh, uh, immaculate and, and, and so on. It wasn't like that. They were dirty. The, the sleeves were raggedy. The, 
the seams were ripped and so on and so forth and you know that's not how it was that's that's fan that's hollywood fantasy and ford replied to him yeah but it sure does look great in technicolor <laughs> so <laughs> that sounds right so I, don't I just know want your, your your take on that uh most biographers can only come up with one time when Ford and Peckinpah met on the MGM lot, which suggests to me Ford was making his scene in How the West Was Won. Peckinpah was shooting um, Ride the High Country, and that there was okay. less than a couple of lines of dialogue between them, which Ford didn't record because I don't think he gave a damn. Peckinpah told his story about it. So I'm not sure if that particular facet of the story is accurate. Max said that one of the lies that Peckinpah carried with him uh, privately is that he was not an admirer of John Ford, but he didn't dare say that while Ford was alive. (laughs) Because of what you're hinting at, that the Westerns looked a little too clean and weren't very realistic. And of course, we have to cut some slack for making a Western in the 40s and making a Western in the 60s when realism began to slip in. So I don't know if the story is true or not. I don't know that anyone will know, but Max would probably say that's not true, but that Peckinpah did, in fact, not really, uh, quote-unquote, like the the Westerns of Ford. He he would put down the searchers. You can find some, uh, some quotes from him where he puts down the searchers. And he's not real kind on Wayne in um, Liberty Valance. He, I think he says, you know, Wayne's okay and Stewart gets by. Um, but he was very cautious not to hurt the old man's feelings, for, for lack of a better phrase. So that would lead me to my second question, which you've created, which is how strange that he that he was, shall I say, not respectful or had uh, had very little respect for for Ford, being that he modeled his career so much. The way he practiced his his operandi was so so similar to the way uh, Ford operated his. They both had a stock company. There are several members in the stock company who are in both stock companies. Um, he demanded ultimate loyalty, even though he didn't always give it. And uh, when you were on the outs, you were on the outs. There was, you know, uh, more than one person who was on the outs by both of them. But Ford was disciplined and got the job done, with the possible exception of, um, oh, what's the Navy movie from the mid-50s with Henry Fonda? Oh, that's Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts. Went, went off the wagon. Ford was disciplined and got the job done and knew how to work with producers, even if he chased him off the set, and, and Peckinpah was not like that at all. But you make some good comparisons. You make some good arguments. And I would say Max Evans was probably more like Ford. Get the job done. Do what you need to do while still having some of the peck-and-ball traits of a rebel, of being your own man, of trying to to portray a contemporary and very realistic West. And I think Max did that great. He wrote about the contemporary West, and he wrote it honestly. Had you you ever come across Max Evans before you interviewed him, Robert? No, I only knew the rounders from the movie, and then I got the book. I got an original of the book, and... uh, which reads very well. Not mu- not much different from the movie, a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly when I met Max, I started reading everything I could get my hands on. Um, so it was kind of, you know, late late in life, 
revelation for me to finally get to know this guy and his writing. Mm -hmm. And to work with him on the book was a kick. Oh, yeah. Um, as he re reflected on a lot of stories of the people he knew in Hollywood revolving around Sam Peckinpah. He pulled a lot of those stories back for publication. That was a frustration I had with him that he would say, we're going to tell this story. And then he realized it was a little too personal um, about some of Sam's flaws involving drugs and women. Uh, I don't know, think it would have been too much of a surprise, but he did pull, he pu pulled his punches a little bit on it, but it was still such a kick to hear him talk about his relationship with Sam and the people in that orbit, like actor LQ Jones. Oh, uh, Robert, what... I'm sure with all the stories he told, there's probably a couple more books about him in there. You, you uh, ever think about doing another piece on him? No, I think it's been done. I mean, he sort of did his own autobiography around 04 mm -hmm. called Old Max Evans, The First Thousand yeah. Years. And I don't know what you would add to the last 15 years, um, but uh, I think he told his own story as much as he wanted to. And people will continue to tell Max Evans stories, which he would love because he loved to tell stories about people he knew who'd passed on. Because, you know, one of the things about him that, that fascinates me that I love is when he's talking about the Cowboys, you know, not about not about anything else but the Cowboys and basically the guys he grew up with, cowboyed with, roped with. Uh, that's a whole different story and a whole different Max Evans I think that's the real Max Evans, and yeah. I think he, he stuck to that even as he moved into a nice little house in Albuquerque and he was no longer riding or roping or even taking part in rodeos. He was trying to write for Hollywood and uh, write for himself. He, st he stayed true to that. I think it's one reason he's, he's well-known in the atmosphere we all are talking about, but I'm not so sure he's well-known widely um, because he wanted to write about a very specific time of life Time, time and type of life and the people in it um, but I don't know for sure I don't know what the I don't know what the reputation of Max Evans is outside of the Western writers I don't mean the Western writers of uh, America but Western writers sort of um, milieu or environments um, but he stayed true to himself he didn't want to sell out to Hollywood he did tell me he wrote on some he worked on some pieces with Peck and Paul that no one will ever know about that uh, he did for under the table money and you know, I always suspected he had a hand in the uh, the Via movie from the late '60s that Sam <laughs> he, wrote the story for with Robert Mitchum. I, mm -hmm. Via Rides, I think mm -hmm. it's called, which Peck and Paul did not direct. Apparently, he wrote a, 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 I shouldn't say wrote, but rewrote a lot of scripts that never got made. And uh, from what I understand, what I was able to find out, a lot of them were horror movies, which uh, <laughs> I, I I I just cannot picture Max Evans writing <laughs> horror movies, but I, you know, he, he, he's a brilliant man so anything is possible. There you go. We are talking about uh, the life of Max Evans, uh, who passed away uh, in uh, late August of this year. Robert Nott is our guest, and Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles, Bunker to France, and me, Harry Alexander, we are here in Tucson. we got to do our first commercial break, so stand by. We'll be back with much more right after these very, very important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Francis of Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Robert Knott. Seth Rowe. It is a, uh, uh, from my, my music service. No, you don't know the name of it. I, I do, but I have to. Because that's, it's I know, a theme it's, from something. It is. It's supposed to be. Oh, well, no. <laughs> it's a theme from the bump music. That's the bump music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway. <laughs> It's, okay, it's Robert, I've got I've got a I've got a deep here philosophical, psychological, uh, confused as hell question for you. Wait, uh, give me a second. Give me a second to pour another uh, <laughs> shot of whiskey. Better make that a double. Yeah, I need at least you're honest, Robert. I, I bought mine too. Let me hang on a minute. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you a name. <clears throat> Wiley Chandler, Big Boy Hitson Jr. and he plays a major part in a lot of the stories that Max wrote. He was probably his closest friend, uh, had a tragic end at the hand of his brother. But my question is, and I got to feel that this had a very profound effect on Evans, because, you know, they they were from the northern part of the state about 85 miles apart. And anyhow, what is your take on uh, Big Boy? Because I think he's such a major part of Max's life. Um, he was. He served as Max's best man in the first wedding that Max had to a woman named Helen before he married his uh, current wife, Pat. Um, 
And they were just really fast friends who understood that you had to live your life the way you were supposed to as a cowboy and not give in to the, to the big ranchers or to the big pressure. And that meant you were going to be a bit of a hellraiser. They were both soldiers. They both came back from World War II, probably like a lot of men that came back from the war then, unlike today, and kept it all in. And that doesn't mean they didn't have PTSD. But they would let loose in the bars, and they understood that nobody would understand what they went through on the battlefield in terms of not just you know being shot at, but shooting back and killing people. And Big Boy lived his life fully and you know his own way, and really didn't give a damn about the big outfits or if people judged him for maybe being with a married lady, assuming the married lady wanted to be with him. And uh, Max would speak to about that man almost to his dying day whenever we taught that big boy came up in one way or another um and there was never a sadness there was never a tear he probably had that but he just had this sense of of respect for you know maybe the best friend he ever had and we've all had best friends but what happens when your best friend's gone by you know max was born in 25 and big boy was killed i'm gonna say 49 so you're 25 years old and your best friend's gone he survived the war and he's gone and I think it stayed with him. It showed up in a lot of his novels. The hell raising the fun, the sense of nobility, the sense of being a cowboy bunker. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the thing, too, is you see you see it in the high-low country. You know, he, he you know, Harrison's character is named Big Boy. And I'm thinking that the Billy Crudup character was probably Max. And, but then, again, they, they, you know, they're still around in the rounders. And you know, and I think probably the rounders uh, kind of gives you the idea of what Max and uh, Big Boy were like. Yeah, and remember the rounders came a year before in terms of novels, um, the high low country, and uh, Max always insisted he wasn't the Billy Crudup character. He said really? that wasn't me. There were there were pieces of me. We'll never know if that's true. We don't know how much yeah. Max put himself into that, but. Um, you're right. They come back again and again. Those two, those two best friends, causing trouble and sort of trying to figure it out and not caring about tomorrow. And I think the two of them did not care about tomorrow. You know, I love, I love you know the thing, like you know in uh, in uh, the Rounders, Joe Wells is Big Jim Love, and then in High Low Country, Sam Elliott is the same character, with a different take on it. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, a little more and, nefarious and a little less comical. And you know the the uh, high low country. I think, I think it is probably one of the really most underrated of the contemporary westerns that's been out. Uh, but I like what one person said about it. He says when Max wrote it, it was uh, it was contemporary. By the time they filmed it, it was a period piece. Good point. That's correct. I mean, think about that. It was. Set 46, 47, 48, New Mexico, which you know well. And then uh, Max is writing it 12 years later, and probably a lot of that was still true. And then it's shot as a movie not quite, what, um, 40 years later? Uh, 98, it was not a success, and Max talks about that a lot. He felt that the distributors handled it poorly. But it's a very accurate depiction of the novel. And if you've all read the novel and the movie... You can you can argue with me about. I think it's it's actually more faithful to the novel than the Rounders, which is pretty faithful. Right, and it really captures Northern New Mexico, what it was like 
back then, you know, because you got the you got the the, you know, the parallel Max uh, when he went off in the army. He was a you know, small rancher. When he came back, uh, the day of the small rancher up there, you know, the the big cash with the big money had come in and bought up all the little guys while they were all fighting the war, and that's what and the, he was trapped in. He did, and he writes about how the trucks took over from the horses, and that made all the difference. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't exactly that literal, and I know you know that bunker, but it was it was a metaphor for how things were changing. Um, I guess, side note, hopefully a funny story, it may not be, about Audie Murphy, um, who we all know was a, you know, the main World War II hero and later, of course, mm-hmm. a Western film star. But Max always said he outshot Audie Murphy at the uh, at the Army boot camp training ground. That he, he, they always claim Max outshot Audie Murphy. And, uh, you know, Max served in Normandy, we know that. And Audie Murphy had an incredibly illustrious career. On the mm-hmm. battlefields before going to Hollywood, and Max ran into Audie Murphy early '60s when Murphy's career was on the downhill. He was making cheap westerns, and um, Max was waiting to talk to an agent. And he, he tells the story a thousand times better than any of us could. And Audie Murphy stepped out of the room of the agent, and and Max said he had gray eyes. He had those killer eyes, and Max was really impressed with Audie Murphy. He was just still a young cowboy trying to make his way in Hollywood, 62, 63. And um, he said, I came this close to saying, Mr. Murphy, my name is Max Evans, and I I served in the Army and was there for, you know, D-Day. And uh, I believe I outshot you on the the boot camp field. And he said, (laughs) Murphy gave him a look before he could even speak. And he said, well, then I looked in his eyes and I said, if I tell him that, he's going to shoot me right here. (laughs) And he, he always had this great respect for Murphy, who he never exchanged a word with. Um, but he looked him in the eyes and he said, man, that guy was a genuine hero. He was a real man. And he really had a lot of respect for him. He also liked him as an actor, as a side note. He used to say Audie was much better than people thought. He was. He was. He he's was. One of, yeah. I worked with him and he's one of my favorite guys in the business. It was just, he was just, he was just Audie Murphy. He wasn't, you yeah. know, he wasn't a star. He was just a guy out there doing his job. Well, and he also took care of his family. Yeah. You know. His brothers and his sisters and his nieces and nephews, and he took care of a lot of people. And I think that's a, there that's was a, a great way you can gauge somebody is how they take care of all those people that they've not left behind, but they're in a different world now, living a different life. And he made sure that they shared from the same table. I think that speaks a lot about him as a person. Robert, in regards to back to Sam Peckinpah, and Max, um, you know, one of Max, uh, one of Sam's things, and I, I, I don't know if you ever got into this with Max about it, was, you know, Peckinpah, like Ford, had his own set of rules, which, first of all, were not written down. He didn't share any, he didn't share his rules with you. You only were made aware of them after you broke one of the rules and <laughs> were in, in penitentiary. Uh, or in penance, whatever you want to call it. And one of Sam's rules, which was, you know, uh, probably stranger than any of them that I've ever can remember was, he used to say, you know, I never cheat on Susan, his wife. He said, I, ne- I never cheat on her when she's in town. <laughs> when she goes away, uh, sometimes I play. 
And I, I wonder if you have any stories from Max about that, or were those some of the stories that were withdrawn? Well, probably 50-50. I mean, Max was pretty honest about Sam's messing around with women, um, and yet he did pull back on a lot of stories about him. Because I think he really respected Sam as a human being and thought he was the best director of Westerns, let's say, post-1960. I never heard Max, as a side note, speak one way or the other about John Ford. Um, it, it was not something that came up unless he was talking about Sam's perception of Ford. Uh, and Max was not somebody to talk about film directors. He was interested in the writers or the actors more than the, the directors. But I think that uh, we're never going to know a lot about the personal lives of a lot of these Western film characters we like. They were cowboys, and they liked women, and the women liked them. And I think Sam, based on what Max told me, kind of wanted to be a cowboy. He never tried to pretend to be one, but he was sort of had that Westerner, I'm going to do what I want to do in buck tradition. But I'm not so sure he knew how to work the land like a cowboy does. And in that sense, I don't think he knew how to work Hollywood as well as Ford did. Or a lot of the other guys we love to talk about on the show, you know, Mann, Bedeker. Um, they knew how to figure out how to work with producers. Even Bud, who I know Todd, you know, we've talked about Bud, like, he was a bit of a rebel, but he knew how to work with producers. And I think Sam ultimately couldn't figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, and right. Max saw that. Max saw the decline, let's say, post-72, 73, uh, of Sam personally and professionally. And was sort of sad about it. He couldn't do anything about it to turn that around. Which would include, you know, women and also beyond just alcoholism. The man liked drugs. Right. Well, yeah, it, it, it helps power you through all the alcohol if you want to stay awake. Most people want to go to sleep. Um, but Peckinpah had a desire to... He didn't want to miss anything, you know, in a way. Uh, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to go to sleep. If I go to sleep, I'll miss something. And you know, um, there's that great story of L.Q. Jones and Jason Robard standing outside the memorial <laughs> service for Peck and Paw. Uh, Bunker knows this story. And um, L.Q. Jones is standing there and he's staring up at the sky and there's a big bird of prey, like a hawk or an eagle, circling. And, uh, and, uh, Robards walks up to him and looks at him and, and looks up into the sky as to what is he looking at. And, and uh, L.Q. Jones, in a very kind of ethereal, kind of philosophical way, says, you know, metaphysical way, wow, look at that bird. It's circling, it's circling, you know, Sam's uh, memorial service. And it's almost as if that's the spirit of Sam. And it's in that bird, or that bird's going to take Sam's spirit up into the heavens, or something. And he's almost kind of like, kind of grasping for an explanation. And Robard says, "You want to know if it's Sam or not? If the bird takes a dump on you, you'll know. That's <laughs> Sam." The All hawk, right. the hawk at uh, Max's bird bath when the family went off to the services might have been the same hawk. <laughs> We're talking That's about, right. We're talking about the life of uh, uh, Western Writers of America author 
the late Max Evans with Robert Knott, uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. we got to do the bottom of the hour break here, and we'll be back with much more about Max Evans after this. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online back Backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. With the fall and the coming of cooler weather, Tucson Trap and Skeet now institutes our fall hours. Office hours are Wednesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and automated fields are open daily from 7 a.m. until dusk. So come out and shoot from one of our 50 trap fields, 13 skeet fields, or five international bunkers. Visit TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com for all of our upcoming events or call 883-6426. Hi, everyone. This is Susan McRae. Welcome to Chaparral Roundup. I Chaparral debuted back in 67 and lasted until 71. March 12th through the 14th in Tucson, Arizona, I'll be hosting Chaparral Roundup, a get-together with fans, friends, and special guests featuring confessions of an acting cowboy, highlights of the life and career of Don Collier, who was Sam Butler on the show, lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, the location where we shot several episodes of the High Chaparral, with music, a western show, a question and answer panel with special guests, the great western band, Fort Worth West, and so much more. The registration form with all information is on the website, chaparralroundup.com, or on the Facebook page, Chaparral Roundup, March 12th through the 14th, 2021, in Tucson, Arizona. Great fun with great people. Chaparral Roundup. You don't want to miss it. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Did you ever see the wind blow a rooster in a jug? Ain't nothing. It'll make your innards more squeamy than the first class pure old E twisty wheel. This is the Voices of the West. On Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Robert Notch in New Mexico. We're talking about the life of 
Max Evans. You ever see a rooster in a jug? See that that. All the result of a twist. No, have you ever seen the wind blow a rooster in a jug? It's all, uh, it's all. You ever see the wind <laughs> suck a rooster out of a jug? It's all about them twisty winds. <laughs> Just watch out for them twisty winds. That's the that's, <laughs> them twisty winds. That's the uh, that's the watchwords of advice there. You know, speaking <laughs> of twisty winds, yeah, and it has nothing to do with it. Okay, but let's talk about the Talus. Take, excuse me, Dennis Weaver tails days. I could shoot him for saying that. <laughs> Tales. Nobody ever said tales. The Taos days of Max Evans, his art, his art career before he decided he was going to be a better writer than an artist. And if, as a matter of fact, Robert, there's. A, I'm looking at an article here by Johnny Boggs about uh, um, Max Evans tells literary stories in paintings and drawings, and uh, some of these are um, uh, published here. There's one called Late for Supper. It's a wary cowhand riding to the bunkhouse in late night, and Max is quoted as saying about this, working cowboys like this one because they know how that old boy feels. <laughs> wow. He loved Taos, which is an hour north of Santa Fe. It's a smaller, smaller city. He loved the bars there, and he liked painting. He couldn't quite get his painting career going in terms of selling to where it would make him a living and he was smart like we all are he's trying to make a living sure cowboys try to make a living and so he would get off into like mining he would get off into used car salesmanship he would get off into um uh, like i said being a con man trying to play people for money sometimes i like smuggling bat guano (laughs) that's it that is a good one he did do that um oh and he he had a little pony out there called brownie and he tried to make it as a working cowboy and a rodeo guy, and it didn't quite go, so he started painting. And he wasn't, you know, how do you say this? He wasn't a bad painter. That's not very complimentary, but it wasn't enough to make him make a living. So he had to start figuring out how to use, you know, his art in a different way. And he started thinking about the fact that he was a cowboy and could he write about that. And his first story was not The Rounders. That was definitely his first novel. And I'm sorry to say I can't remember the name of his first story, but it was about a coyote, the killer out on the river. Oh, that's the uh, something Sky. Um, oh, what was it? Is it Hole in the Sky? No, no, but I'll figure it out. But, um, but you know, he knew he wanted to do something that was not, you know, Zane Grayish. Uh, he wanted to get away from that and do something very, very honest about what he went through. And it was also about living by a code. One-eyed sky. Yeah. One-eyed yeah. sky. And, you know, the code for him, to me, is, is, is sort of when you look at the movie or the book, is embodied in the horse. The spirit of the West is caught up in that horse, and it's not going to give up the spirit. And it refuses to be tamed, and it refuses to be shot, and it refuses to be left behind. And these two cowboys that just want to have fun have to deal with that. And in its own way, that horse reminds those two guys of the spirit of the West and what it's like to just live free and be a cowboy and be an American and not give in to whatever else is trying to make you give in to not being who or what you are. What was and it? the Rounders, which he wrote in Taos, really pulled him out of that art career and made him a name that he could not have expected. I don't think he, he painted as much after the Rounders, but there were still some... 1960s works. Did he do, do uh, 
was it in oils or watercolor? I mean, what I'm looking at on the internet, and that's not a lot of sketches and whatever, yeah, great uh, great representation. But are, are these uh, these are more sketches than anything else? Yeah, about the cowboy way of life. Yeah. Okay. There's another one that he uh, did here called In My Valley. It's a mystical city rising uh, on a cowboy's once Spartan ranch land. And Max says, that was a prediction I had 57 years ago. Building up uh, uh, all around the ranches, I had this vision of what was going to happen to the ranches. And, uh, yeah, wow, real real you poignant know, there. <laughs> one of the stories he tells is that, you know, because his, his uh, like was it his mom or his grandmother was half Cherokee and a uh, medicine woman. And he, he said at one time that one of the reasons he quit painting is because he quit having the visions. Wow. Whether that whether that was just a, a windy or whether that was just because you know that's one of the things too I think with Max and Taos as an artist uh, I've I've known a lot of New Mexico artists up in that part of the country in Santa Fe and some of them are better at promoting themselves than they are at painting and I think that was true he didn't know how to promote himself ever until the later days when he was Max Evans. And you could say, oh, Max Evans, we get that. But And most of his works depicted the cowboy in a snowstorm or coming into some ghostly town or, mm -hmm. you know, chatting with another cowboy. Or I know he did one on, on a couple of guys in Normandy. Um, I think it's called Nightfire. Uh, about about yes. cause he, was, he was a mortar man. He was artillery, but he was a mortar man, too. Mm -hmm. And so he really painted what he knew. But it didn't. It didn't sell. I'm not sure today. If one of you is on the internet, I'm not right now. In the second, I'm not sure what his work would sell for. I'm curious. Well, like, the, the article states, and I don't know when this article was published, but it it states that um, a recent set went for a thousand dollars at an auction in Cimarron, New Mexico, uh, for the prints, and uh, apparently he did not he did not number them <laughs> until after 150, and then he started numbering them. Uh, according to this article. And it also credits him with uh, when he met the Potawatomi Indian artist Woody Crumbo, uh, became Evans's mentor. Yeah. Uh, he was also his smuggling partner. <laughs> That's yeah. right, on both counts. Yeah. And his, his son, st Crumbo's son, still lives out here, and he stayed friends with Matt. $1,000? Yeah. That's, that's about what Max owed me in poker games. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's, here's, one, here's one for you, Robert. You might want to look into this. Uh, the Fort Lewis College up in Durango, Colorado, has an oral history of uh, Max's smuggling days, which was to be locked up until 2020, which is this year. And Max always said, he says, uh, if I ain't dead, I should be before, by the time that's out. Uh, but I'm just curious, and I'm sure a lot of other people are, what he had to say about his smuggling days. I'll bet you it was pretty damn colorful. I'm sure it was. I, I knew smugglers in when I lived in Key West, and uh, we're not talking, uh, these people smuggled everything. And well, so, yeah, it, it's rather colorful. We have a good, a good friend of mine, uh, worked with Sam. Uh, lives down in St. David, uh, John White, Squirrel, uh, he used to go down into Mexico. He would take a load of brand new Levi's, go down into the interior, and trade it for gold and silver coins mm -hmm. because the people living back up in the hills were afraid to spend it 
because this was going back to revolutionaries' yeah, days, right, and they right. didn't want the federalities right. tearing their place apart. Yeah, yeah. So he did that for years until they said, we want guns now. We don't want Levi's. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, that's that story. All right, well, well, here I am, a law-abiding journalist in Santa Fe, and I'm on the phone with what I think are three smugglers. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're guilty by association. Yeah. I only smuggle fun, Robert. Yeah, that's right. In any in any type of satchel I can find, <laughs> yeah. uh, even if I have to steal the satchel. Yeah, in fists I and bet you do in fists and quarts. There you go. Yeah, uh, you're damn right, Bunker. We, we got to do our final break. We're talking about the life of Max Evans with uh, Robert Knott in New Mexico. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France is here, and um, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be back after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and uh, Todd Roberts. Our guest is Robert Knott in New Mexico. We're talking about the life of uh, the late Max Evans. Todd, let's talk yes. about let's talk about going crazy with Max Evans because 
That's why we're doing the show. We're going crazy here. <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Where, how crazy do you want to go, Bunker? Just as crazy or, as you... How about this? How about this? How about we ask Robert? That's to, what I said. Did uh, I say meet? Todd? No, you said you you said Todd, not what? Robert. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Well, here's an example of being crazy. Robert, why don't you indulge us and tell us your craziest Max Evans story that you can tell or willing to tell? That'll keep us on the air. We're desperate. Keep you on... Keep, keep you on the air. Yeah. We don't care uh, about that. Don't we worry. don't care or about least, how bad it or, is. Or we at just... least we get off the air, but we go out in a blaze of glory. <laughs> well, that's well, the whole point, the book, yeah. The book, was, the book was called Going Crazy with Sam Peckinpah and all of our friends. If you knew Max Evans, you'd go crazy with him. Here's what I think, first of all. Why haven't I been on this show in a long time? Because I tell people... You all have gone crazy. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I'm being crazy with you again on this Saturday afternoon. Hey. I think, you know, we like Western movies and Western fiction, men particularly, because they depict men doing, quote unquote, what men need to do. Masculine. And, and he did it, and he probably, and I won't tell all the stories you want, he probably hurt people along the way. That's cowboy. Like I suspect the four of us have, not just women. Probably some women's hearts were broken, and maybe some deals didn't go the way he wanted or we wanted, but he just sort of was the the, the quintessential American man, cowboy, mm-hmm. you know, winner. I'll say the word loser, like, he just kept going. None of that mattered. And he needed a touch of craziness, probably like Sam Peckinpah did, like I'm positive Bunker does. Um, <laughs> not so far about Gilly, that he needed that to fuel him like a shot of tequila, and and that's the wonderful part of being crazy in the best sense of the word. He just lives his life like he wanted to live it, but that doesn't mean he was always a winner no. any more than we are or the people well, no. who the show are. No. So is there a is there a spot in Albuquerque or Santa Fe or or, or Taos that Max loved the best? So that when I come. To the state of great state of New Mexico, I, I get to go there with you and drink. A, a, I talked a to Max, his, um, a Max Hang. I, I talked to his widow Pat last weekend. She's got his ashes as per his wishes in an urn in the house in Albuquerque. He told her, scatter them down and up in the high low country, the northeast part of the state. Then he said, scatter them in the uh, Hillsboro Kingston area, more mm-hmm. central southeast. Bunker knows it. And then he said, you know, scatter him in Albuquerque, which he loved when he moved there from the late 60s. And uh, he wanted him scattered up in the Sandia Mountains, um, which also Bunker knows. So I said to her, she said, can I scatter him all four places or is the ghost world going to be upset? And I said, do you want the ghost of Max Evans haunting four different parts of the state? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, you, I got I got something to think about here now. You know, at sixty years old, he was still team roping in Magdalena. Now, he, like you said, he pickups. They tried to replace the horse. Now I know it has to drive him crazy that the ATVs were replacing the pickups out there. It drives me crazy when I see something all on ranching now, modern documentary or something, especially down in Florida. And these guys are herding cattle on ATVs. It's just somebody should shoot them. Or helicopters. Well, that's good for running horses. Drones. Yeah. 
So, Robert, can you speak at all about the the, the novel, the King of uh, the King of Taos? Uh, it's a good read. He started it. He said he started it pre-rounders, put it aside, set in Taos where he was living, about a bunch of guys, primarily guys, trying to make it work while they hang out in a bar, and nobody's doing much of anything, and he picked it back up decades later and tightened it up and rewrote it a little and managed to get it out from UNM Press about three months before he died. I, I, I don't know if any of you read it. It's okay if you ain't, but... I read the review in the roundup. That's about as close as I've got. Yeah, it's just a fitting cap to his life because this is a man that started the book before the rounders, yeah. his first major success, and finished it after his last major success. And it's out there. It's a good read. Um, it's funny, and it's about a bunch of really nice losers who are kind of winners and i think that's how max lived his life yeah well what are you you working on now uh anything uh uh, robert besides your newspapering backyard thanks for asking i'll make it fast unm press has put out a series of books called real west Mm -hmm. they're asking authors to write books about a specific western i'm close to even if they're listening to me close to hopefully finalizing a deal to ride um Ride, listen to me. Write a book on Ride the High Country. Ooh, cool. Um, oh, Johnny ooh. has one. Johnny Boggs has one on Red River. Um, yeah. And ooh. they've got these individual titles. I think they're going to be really exciting if cool. it goes through. So if that happens, yeah. um, that'll be my next book. Thanks Excellent. For Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, there was a, I don't know if we got time for this, but yeah, there was a cowboy. A there was a cowboy here in Arizona named uh, uh, Stacy Newton. Uh, and Kind of a kind of a low grade, uh, Max Evans because he never wrote anything, but Stacy did all these kind of crazy things. Ended up driving for uh, Peckinpah for years, and I'm just wondering if Max ever. I know Max and, and Stacy had to had to get together because these two would have been a perfect pair for Sam. Anyhow. I never heard that. I never heard the name before, so I can't speak to it. I don't know. Well, he drove for me. He. he uh, Sam used him off and on. He was, he was uh, probably knew the Bloody Basin up here in, in uh, central Arizona better than any man alive. But uh, he was in the getaway. He was the, one of the uh, hit men. The guy was running around with a bandage on his head because they did a jerk into the wall, and he cracked his skull. And so everything from that point on, out of context, he's wearing a, a, a hat, wearing his hat with a bandage under it. Well, if you remember him, you'll remember that. Now remember that. Well, I don't know what I'm saying. We're about out of time now. Robert, not thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. Real quick, June is 50 years since Audie Murphy died. If you guys want to do an Audie Murphy show in June. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 On the calendar already. Actually, it was Memorial Day, May. So, yeah, let me know. A pleasure to talk to you guys again. Take care. Hey, we're going to great bless. promotion we're, there. We're going to do this again, Robert. I, I don't want you to be a stranger anymore. So you can All be right? strange, but you can't be a stranger. <laughs> yeah. All That's right. That's right. All right. Next. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, gentlemen. A pleasure. Thank there goes you. my dog. All right. The dog <laughs> knows the show's over. Our next uh, get together, we will be uh, movie Saturday, and it'll be out at the White Stallion Ranch, and we're going to be doing livestock. Stampede. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Favorite horse? Stampede. Cattle, sta- cattle stampede. That's what we're going to be little, doing. Little Joe the Wrangler, who will wrangle nevermore. All right, that's it. 78, 79, 80. Thank you for so much. So long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 